Hello, and welcome to Smooth Scaling, the podcast from Insight Partners that helps revenue leaders scale their software companies at every stage of growth. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan, and today I'm speaking with Hayden Stafford, President and Chief Revenue Officer at Seismic, a global leader in enablement, helping organizations engage customers, enable teams, and ignite revenue growth. Welcome to the show, Hayden. Hey, thank you, Jeremy. Appreciate you uh, doing this with me today. Well, we are now in the chit-chat free zone, so let's go ahead and dive right in. Awesome. As you reflect on your career, what's a critical initiative that stands out in your mind as having had a major impact on revenue performance? The first one that pops right away is my time when I was at Microsoft. I led the Dynamics business, which was their CRM and ERP business and their power platform. And we were a distant fourth, maybe third in the CRM space. I don't think on anyone's radar from an ERP space. For the most part, when I joined, we were an SMB mid-market business. And the goal was to bring us into enterprise. And that's, I was first hired in as the head of enterprise sales. I'd say 85% of our business was mid-market down, so down market solution, just a little bit of enterprise. What we struggled with at first was a um, hosted solution. It wasn't a true multi-tenant SaaS solution. The product just really had a hard time scaling. So the sales team, of course, we, we ramped up and hired a bunch of enterprise sellers we still had our through partner channel, um, but as we started getting into bigger companies, we started running into bigger problems. And when you run into bigger problems with your implementations, that cycle to the next sale slows way down. And for the first few years I was there, we, we struggled. Revenue growth was not where it needed to be. We were having a lot of challenging implementations. The company was kind of building its muscles around, around selling into the enterprise and having enterprise scale capabilities of our product. That continued for a couple of years until a new engineering leader came in. And uh, his name was James. For the sake of this podcast, I'll keep, I'll keep his, uh, his last name out of it. If you're selling a, a new multi-tenant product, you've got to know what you're doing and positioning uh, how the product works, not only working with your business decision makers at the customers, but also the IT decision makers. Needless to say, the, myself and James and his team became very, very close. In fact, it was the dawning of the, the genesis of what is still there called Fast Track. They have a group called Fast Track. Fast Track is an engineering, people within engineering that work with the sales team during the scoping, during the kind of the, the definition of the solution before you even sign. And the Fast Track team then stayed with the customer throughout the sale and then into implementation. Of course, there could be a partner, there could be Microsoft services. But these resources would stay mostly as a kind of a lifeguard just to make sure things were done right. As I said, it was a newer product as we positioned to true cloud. I forgot to mention earlier that probably 90% of our business when I joined was on premise. So not only were we a new multi-tenant platform, but we were moving to the cloud. This fast track team, which James and I created and brought together, really de-risked implementations, drove implementations quickly and allowed the customer to get to value more quickly. Concurrently, Jeremy, I brought in a CSM team. Microsoft didn't have CSMs in 2015, completely new to the company. We had a small team, which we scaled to about 100 people over the course of those years. And together with Fast Track up front, the sales team, and of course, the technical pre-sales, sales engineering, consulting, be it a partner or internal, and then a success team, we really started to see a ramp in our enterprise business. And I said, as I said, about 85 to 90% of our business was SMB back then. 
by the time I left in 2020, it was 65% enterprise. So we made a big shift and it was the multiple teams coming together along the customer's journey with us, de-risking projects, getting it implemented more quickly, realizing the value through our CSMs and getting us to that next upsell opportunity. And that really helped us. It's interesting because now I think of Microsoft Dynamics very much as an enterprise solution, right? And and there's a mindshare battle over app exchange, right, with Salesforce, which is always a challenge, but definitely the perception, the brand perception changed dramatically. Going back to the this fast track team, I think of them as almost like what Snowflake does with their technical account managers who are paired up one-to-one with AEs, you know, before and and after the sale and and stay on with the accounts. Is that what they are? You have you had separate sales engineers, separate TAMs and this separate fast track team that reported into the product. Yeah, we did have these were separate teams. So Fast Track was in the product and it was product people. We had our technical pre-sales and we did have TAMs in the accounts. This was purely a function to make sure the implementation went flawlessly. Purely non-billable, not on any quota. And as I said, they weren't there full time. They would over the course of the sale and the implementation, maybe 30 hours, but they had benchmarks of what kind of what you needed to be doing to hit certain milestones. And what they did was they de-risked the selling process, de-risked the implementation process, and gave the CSM a product that was being deployed the way it was meant to be deployed by the product team. Did those fast track professionals have the power to add to engineering's I would assume fast track development priority list. Bingo. You just hit. I, I think James did it for that reason. It was to get more hands on, more eyes and ears on the product. I mean, talk about voice of customer for the product team. I think the reason why he started that was so that they could improve the product and get real time feedback on how the product was being sold, bought, and delivered. Yeah, I hadn't previously heard of this role, but I'm thinking right now this is brilliant. I'd lived through a few SMB to enterprise or SMB and market to enterprise transitions. And indeed, the the challenge with growth is that these products are often not enterprise ready and the company doesn't totally understand what that means in terms of, you know, multi-tenant, single tenant, in terms of ring fencing, particular user groups, security, on and on and on, right? There's so many differences. And a lot of times you have this poor AE trying to to convince the product people and others that you know you need these features and it's it's hard when salespeople are screaming right that we need this we need that we need that and and how does engineering filter through all that noise coming from the field right yeah and i, I think engineering struggles with it you know like they just want salespeople to you know shut up and sell for lack of a better way to put it right i mean i think there's more empathy than that yeah, yeah, you're you're right. There's a lot of chatter and to put this role and embed them in product as opposed to embed them elsewhere, you're you're removing a barrier. That's exactly right. And it doesn't need to be a big team because as I said, it's not an active part of the sales cycle and an active part of the implementation. It is the sanity check, making sure everyone's staying on the rails and doing things as the product is meant to do because you know, Jeremy, all sellers sell futures. 
They sell, you know, anything to get the deal. The fast track team was kind of that birdie on the shoulder, chirping in the ear, like, no, 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 you shouldn't do that. So I'm sure it wasn't all sunshine and butterflies and roses. I'm sure there's a better way of, of forming that expression, but I'm sure it wasn't wasn't all smooth sailing. What hiccups did you run into with the fast track program? At first, it was having enough of them. This is a cost of sale that's not reimbursable or, you know, there's no cost recovery there. It's it's pure cost sale. So it was a new blazing kind of path for us. And the company was reticent to put more resources. At first, it was six or seven people. And mind you, we had ERP, which is entirely different than CRM. So it was two or three from each. And we were banging on that team way too much. We were exhausting them and using them instead of as a crutch. We were making them a part of the team. So I think it was overutilizing a gift and pushing that team too hard. Um, and I don't advocate doing this at, you know, once you're at steady state and you're at scale, if you're already an enterprise company, that's what your technical pre-sales is meant to be. But as you're making that transition, as you're trying to def- get into a market that is dominated by somebody like a Salesforce or an SAP on the ERP side, you've got to have those resources there. And by the way, Jeremy, when I when when I left, I think we only had probably 30 of these. So this is not a huge team. But what what I'm kind of heartened by is they now have these in Azure. They have these in office. They have them in other parts of the business. Yeah, I learned a good lesson in there. Well, you mentioned that they de-risk both pre-sale and post-sale. I'm curious on the pre-sale side, what was their role and how did they not trip over the other folks who were on the team, the sales engineers, the AEs and so forth? Yeah. The involvement from this team, and that was another thing that James and I spent a lot of time working on, is when to use them and how to use them. A lot of companies don't bring in the partner or the services team into the sales cycle. A lot of them will, you do the sale and then you chuck it over to the delivery team and it's not not necessarily a clean handoff. For us, it was about when is the right time? And we made it a, a key element of our sales process to have solution scoping and implementation plan delivered by, I think it was sales stage four or something like that. You know, two thirds of the way through, we ensured that there was sign off, fast track sign off. And I think it was like every deal over 500K or something like that. So we had a clip level of size. There were exceptions. Of course, you had some small pilots with large enterprises you could bring them in. So we had a clip level of size and you could not exit sales stage, call it four, without so you physically couldn't get it into the next stage in in our instance of CRM without sign off from the fast track team and without sign off from the technical pre-sales person. So that's that's how we managed it. And I guess just to be clear, the fast track team was not the implementation leaders. Somebody else did that. Did the fast track team actually develop the solution scope and implementation plan? No, the partner did. The partner or the services team would do that. Uh, the fast track team would be sitting there making sure that, okay, yes, that's a working integration. Yes, that API works. You know, the, these conditions, these fit. A lot of times, you know, think just think how many implementations you've, you've been associated with, Jeremy, where you're saying, yeah, we can do that. And it's either not in the roadmap or it's a lot of custom development. The moment you start doing custom dev in a... Tr- true cloud solution, you're breaking the whole purpose of the cloud, which is to have an upgrade path. So they're making sure that those upgrade paths would work by building a product that was meant to be 
implemented the way it was built, if that makes sense. It does make sense. I'm smiling because I, I recall something that I purchased where during the pre-sale process, we did our best to verify that it worked with the Salesforce support cloud, which is what we were using. And, you know, we signed the check and we discover afterwards that really it only works with Zendesk and, <laughs> and, but, but their intent was rapid development and to, to their credit, they actually were able to develop quickly, but it would have been nice to, nice to know that in the, in the pre-sale process. Exactly. There you go. Case in point. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, and they didn't, they were, they were quite small. I don't think they had that role, but I, I think having that role you almost think of it not as a cost of sale. It's it's really a cost of success or failure because so many moves either up market from SMB to enterprise or even down market right from enterprise into SMB where you need to make adjustments matter. The best thing for us, which we saw very clearly, it was like 2016, 17, was the time to the next sale. The time to expansion was compressed by at least 50%. So we saw expansion we saw growth far, far quicker because the implementation obviously happened more quickly and the CSM was not a triage escalation point. The CSM was there to drive adoption. Thank you for listening to the Smooth Scaling Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, or tell a friend. For more information about the topics we discussed today, check out the Insight Partners blog at insightpartners.com slash blog. See you next time.